Dear church family, as we gather for worship this evening, our Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 5, verses 7 and 8. But as for me, I will come into thy house, in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Please turn with me in the scriptures to the Old Testament, to the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Tonight we begin our consideration of the law of the Lord in relation to good works as a, as a as it's expounded in the Heidelberg Catechism. And this passage comes directly on the heels of Moses giving the law the second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So let's hear the word of our God. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land <clears throat> in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou builded not, and houses full of good things, which thou filled not, and wells digged, which thou dig, diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou planted not, and when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. 
For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, as ye tempted him in Massa. You shall be, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies, and his statutes, which he commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asks thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his households before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, and he, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive, as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness, if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he hath commanded us. So far the reading of God's faithful, true, and powerful word. Dear church family, please turn with me to the back of the Psalters, to the Heidelberg Catechism, and Lord's Day 34, Lord's Day 34, which you can find on page 69 and 70. I'd like to read the questions and answers from this Lord's Day. Question 92. What is the law of God? Answer, God spake all these words in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then you have the Ten Commandments, which we read this morning, so I'm not going to read them in their entirety right now. Question 93. Uh, how are these commandments divided into two tables? The first of which teaches us how we must behave towards God, and the second, what duties we owe to our neighbors. In question 94, what does God enjoin in the first commandment? Answer, that I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my soul, Avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints, or any other creatures, and learn rightly to know the only true God, to trust in him alone, with humility and patience, submit to him, expect all good things from him only, 
love, fear, and glorify him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to his will. Question 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is, instead of or besides that one true God, who hath manifested himself in his word, to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. In Matthew 22, Jesus, as he was being tempted by one of the Pharisees, was asked this question. Master, which is the greatest commandment? At the root of this Pharisee's question was, Jesus, out of all of the Ten Commandments, out of the Ten Words of the Law, which one is the greatest? Attempting to trap Jesus, get him to minimize certain parts of the law versus other parts. But Jesus, in his wisdom, and directs the attention of the Pharisee to and, and, and us to a most comprehensive and beautiful summary of the entire law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus, in these two brief statements, addresses the very heart of the law. Loving God above all, which you can find in the first four commandments. And loving our neighbors as ourselves, as seen in the last six commandments, which are but an extension of our love for God. And our catechism teaches us a similar, when it says that the, the law teaches us how we must behave before God. Ultimately, as Jesus summarizes this, this is in love to him, to love him. And what our duties are to our neighbors, what we owe to them. Ultimately, as Jesus says, to love them as yourself. Dear church family, at the, at the center of the law of God, throughout it all, is love for the one true, and living God. A love that is to be manifested in our lives with a, a wholehearted allegiance to Him, which is necessary and the only response that the people of God must have for His saving grace in our lives. So if you have been saved by grace, it will be your desire, your delight to, to wholeheartedly 
align with Him. And this is going to be evidenced in a loving and a faithful and obedient life. And we hope to consider this wholehearted allegiance from our, from the passage that we read from Deuteronomy 6. At this time I want to read verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, hear, O church family, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And we want to consider this theme tonight, wholehearted allegiance to the one true God. And we want to look at it with, from three angles, a comprehensive allegiance, a compelled allegiance, and a committed allegiance. As we said earlier, Deuteronomy is the fifth book that Moses wrote to the children of Israel after they left Egypt and they were traveling and had traveled now through the wilderness for some 40, almost 40 years. Israel had been marvelously delivered from the bondage, the slavery, the oppression that they had experienced in Egypt. And now we find ourselves at the end of Moses' life, with Israel at the cusp of entering into the, the promised land. And in many ways, Deuteronomy now becomes the, the final word or instruction that he is going to give and leave Israel with, as he will soon be taken from this earth. This is Moses' final word, a message that is going to revolve around the exposition of the law of God. It's a message, an address that demonstrates the overarching love of God for his covenant people. It demonstrates his covenant love towards them. And in turn, it's going to instruct them in in various ways what it's going to look like for them as the people of God to live for the Lord as they enter into this promised land that they had, that the Lord had promised to them. It's going to direct their attention to living holy lives in every area of their life. And so after reciting the law of God, again, for the second time, as it's written in Scripture from Deuteronomy 5, in verses 6 to 21, Moses then begins his exposition, addressing the heart of the law, unpacking and presenting to the people the first commandment in chapter 6. But he does so from a positive perspective. The first commandment reads negatively, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We could turn it around positively and say, what the Lord is saying is, You shall place me, the one true God, first and foremost over everything in your life. And Moses does that in our text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The Lord is calling his people to a, to a wholehearted allegiance to serve him, to love him, and to love him alone. And when we love him alone, there's no room for any other God. And in the first place, this allegiance is a comprehensive one. Moses writes, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. The, the imperative here is a strong, emphatic imperative. It's not optional. The Lord demands full allegiance to him and to him alone. You must love the Lord your God. The reality and the forcefulness of the command comes to all of us, not just to Israel, as he calls us to love him, to live for him, and to serve him. Now, we know by nature that we don't. And we won't, apart from grace. We, we much rather serve ourselves and live for ourselves. And given the context, this command comes in particular to the people of God, to those who had been redeemed, washed, and cleansed in the blood of Christ. Obedience to this command is not done out of mere legal, legalistic obedience. It cannot. But it's, it's an obedience, it's a following this command because God has established a relationship with his people that he began. Dear child of God, we are called to love the Lord because he first loved you. And maybe there's some here who say, I just, so often I don't feel like I love the Lord. I don't have this conscious sense of love for him, desire to serve him, live for him. So often I find myself living for myself, doing my own thing. I think this gets to a question, but what is love? What, what are we looking, what are we expecting? What, what is love? What does it mean to love the Lord? In the English language, we use this word love on so many different levels. Children, you can think of the many times that you use that word love. Maybe you say, I love, and you fill in the type of food that you love to eat. I love pizza. Or maybe you say to your mom or dad, I love you. Or maybe we, we speak of a young man and a young wo- woman who have, we say, fallen in love, smitten in love with each other. The love that we're speaking about in terms of the love of God is deeper, it's greater than those that have just been, those examples just listed. The love of God is ultimately rooted in an act of the will, a will that has been changed by the grace of God and in hearing the Lord's command, this will then responds actively to love him. 
with a conscious decision, a decision that's rooted in faith, grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, to love him, regardless of the feelings. For our feelings come and go. Maybe for those of for those of you who have been married for some time, you knew you loved your wife, man. You knew you loved your wife the the moment you married her, and you committed to 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 love her. But as you as the years of marriage passed, the feeling of love not necessarily always there, but yet if you ask, do you love your wife? The answer is absolutely yes. We're called to love Him, to love the Lord, not necessarily because the feelings are present, but because of who He is and because of what He's done for sinners like us. We do so as an act of the will a wholehearted commitment to love and serve our king and this will is uh, this love is going to and ought to encompass our entire being our entire life and this is what the lord teaches us in verse 5 thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thine heart with all thy soul and with all thy might with all our heart with all of our soul, we are to, to love the Lord. These are two parallel statements that direct our attention to our entire being. Nothing in us should not be devoted in our love to the Lord. One commentator writes, these two terms, heart and soul, between them indicate that a man is to love God with unreserved devotion. And then Moses adds this next phrase, with all of our strength or our might. We're to love him not just with our, our heart and our soul, but with every fiber of our being, with every thought, with every word, with every action. Every day we are to love him above all. And as you look at yourself, you say, how is that possible? But in the Lord Jesus Christ, where our hope and strength and power lies, we can. And children, as you begin, as you begin your new school year, this year, as you, for those at Grace, begin on Thursday, or those homeschooling, I know some of you have already begun, or other schools that you might go to, young people as you head off into college, the various college programs that you have, we're called to love the Lord every moment of every day. With your entire being, with your strength, serving Him, taking up your tasks with diligence and vigor, doing all the assignments to the utmost of your ability. But it's not just our children that are called to love the Lord with their entire being. Us as parents as well, as we go about caring for 
our children, supplying for them. Moms as maybe preparing in preparing meals and caring for a sick child, maybe in driving children from one activity to another to various appointments. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, our heart, soul, and strength. Or maybe you're out in the workforce. Maybe you're swinging a hammer, pulling wire. Maybe you're sitting behind a computer typing code. Or maybe it's out in the soccer field playing a game of pickup soccer with friends. We're to love the Lord with all of our mind, strength, our entire being. Every moment of every day, the Lord says to his people, you must love me. You are to be wholly devoted to me. You are to have this comprehensive allegiance to me. And it is not optional. But maybe someone asks why. What are the reasons that we are called to this wholehearted allegiance to the one true God. A friend, it rests in two things. It rests in the very character of who our God is and what he has done for sinners like us. In verse 4, verse 4 begins with what, we, what is commonly known in, in Jewish circles as the Shema. Verses which you can find in verses 4 through 9. The Shema was and continues to be a, a, a part of the ritual recited daily prayers of the religious Jew. It's really a, a confession of faith. And literally in the original translated word for word, it is Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. And it's been translated variously. For instance, in our passage, in our version, it's translated as the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And another version, it says, says, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The meaning is the same. In the words of a commentator, Yahweh was to be the sole object of Israel's worship and allegiance and affection. And this isn't only true for Israel, but it's for true for each one of us here this evening. The Lord our God is to be everything for us. He is to be our all and in all. He is to be the sole object of our hope, of our confidence, of our worship, of our mind, of our emotions, of our strength. He is worthy of our total allegiance His being and his, his character and who he is and what he has done ought to compel us to such a wholehearted allegiance. For he is, as Moses says, he is the Lord, all capital letters, Jehovah, Yahweh. This is his personal name, a name that's associated with his, his grace and mercy. 
It's a name that speaks to the beautiful reality that our God is an approachable God and a God who desires relationships with sinners like us. It speaks to the reality that there is a way back into His presence. It speaks to the beautiful reality that He delights to be known by His people. But He is not only the Lord, He is also God, Elohim which speaks to his glory, his deity, his awesome transcendent. He is so much higher and greater and glorious than us. It's a name that speaks to his power, his strength to accomplish that which he wills. It's a name that demands that we humble ourselves before him who is the creator and we are but the the creature. And the beauty of verse 4 is the personal pronoun, our, that comes in between these two. The Lord, our God. This great and glorious transcendent God could be our Lord. The God is full of grace and mercy and compassion. And How? Through his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself to become, taking upon himself human flesh, living here for 33 years, the one who suffered and died, who bore and took upon himself the wrath of the Almighty God against the sins of his people, so that sinful human people, beings like us, can have a relationship with him again. And friend, this ought to compel you to wholeheartedly love him above all, to serve him, this great and glorious God. The question for you, for myself, is he my God? Is he your God? Have you been washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? But Moses, Moses directs our attention beyond just this reality. Uh, he is the Lord, our God. But Moses adds this crucial phrase. The Lord, our God, is one Lord. He is the one and only God. There are no other gods with whom you can or should attempt to share your allegiance with. As the Catechism says, we are to avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints, any other creature. Instead, we are to rightly know the one, the only true God. For there is only one God, and it is him alone that we are to serve, to love, and to live for. And as the Catechism says, we are then to to renounce and forsake all other creatures and be wholly committed to him alone. And friend, if this 
does not compel you to wholeheartedly serve him and love him. Moses then raises one more thing that ought to jar us and call us to pay attention. In verses 14 and 15, he says, We are not to go after other gods, the gods of the people which are around us. Why? For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Now, jealousy is often seen as a very negative trait. But in the right context, it is absolutely necessary. God is jealous of his own honor. He will not give his glory to another. He's jealous of his own name, as he says in Ezekiel. He's jealous over his people. As we heard a couple of weeks ago, these people are ones that he's redeemed with his own blood. These are ones that the image, his image has been renewed in them. These are ones he delights over with his love. Ones that he's created and set apart as a peculiar people to be zealous unto good works. And part of these good works involves loving him above all and no other gods. And he does this so that he, our God, gets all the glory. Our God, therefore, in the first commandment says that no other person, no other thing, no other idea, no other God can come before him. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He will, he will not give his glory to another. He not only demands that we love him and give a wholehearted allegiance to him, but he compels us, his people, to do so based on of who he is. But not only because of who he is, but because of what he has done. And Moses draws our attention to this as well. And in fact, both of these become the very basis for the, the giving of the law. Every time we read the law on Sunday mornings, children, how does that, how does the, the, the law begin? In Deuteronomy 5, verse 6. The law begin, we begin reading the law and we say, the Lord says to us, I am the Lord your God. So there's a recognition, a call to think about who he is. But then there's a call to remember what he's done. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The law is formally introduced in it, it, with both of these aspects, the character of God and the works of the Lord. Both who our God is and what he has done form the basis for why you and I ought to be keeping the law. And Moses highlights this for us in, in chapter 6 uh, on several occasions. Verse 12, Beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee out forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 21, 
We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes and brought us out from thence that he might bring us in and give to us the land which he sware unto our fathers. The Lord had delivered them with a mighty deliverance from the land of Egypt. And this is calling the Israelites to serve him, to be whole, to a wholehearted allegiance to him. And this is true for the people of God today. If you know him, if you know the saving grace and mercy of the Lord in your life, if you know what it is to be to be delivered from from your sin and misery, from the bondage of sin, from the oppression of sin, from from the bondage of this world and and our and our old man self. If you know what it is to experience the strong and mighty arm of God pulling you out of the miry clay and setting you upon the rock and establishing your going as, as Psalm 40 describes. If you know what it is to be set free, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then out of great love for Him, we are wholeheartedly to give ourselves to Him in full allegiance for what He has done. For sinners like us. But maybe someone's asking, well, what, what does such a wholehearted allegiance, what does that kind of life look like in daily life? We have seen so far, congregation, that a wholehearted allegiance to the one true God is a, a comprehensive allegiance. That is necessary and will impact every area of one's life. We have seen that the people of God ought to be compelled to wholly commit to him because of who he is and what he has done for, for sinners like we are. But the question remains, what, what does this look like? What, what does it mean to, or what does a, a committed allegiance to the one true God involve? What, is, what does that look like in daily life? Well, Moses provides us with at least five ways that the people of God will demonstrate this in their lives. In verse 13, he says, in the first place, you shall fear the Lord thy God. You shall fear the Lord thy God. This is not some slavish fear where one, because of the fear of consequences, obeys and listens. This was the type of fear Israel had in Egypt as they were forced into hard labor, fear of the taskmasters, fearful of the blows of the whips that might come upon them if they slacked off or if they were disobedient 
not working as diligently as was expected. No, the fear that Moses calls us to, that the Lord calls us to, is one that has a heart that is aware of, a heart that knows the one true God intimately and personally. And it's this knowledge that then impacts one's way of thinking, one's emotions, one's words, and one's actions. It's a fear that knows God in terms of His beautiful holiness and His amazing grace. And it's this kind of fear that leads in lies and looks like in the people of God, lives that involve humble living before him. It involves lives of a desire to continue to grow in the knowledge and favor of God, to also understand more of who he is in Christ Jesus. There's also a growing sense of who we are as people, sinners, There's a deepening sense in the lives of the people of God as they humble themselves before him of the ugliness of our sin and our sinful ways that are so prevalent. And there's a greater and greater love and appreciation for Jesus. For Jesus and his death on the cross. And friends, such a fear of God is fostered as we get in the Word, as we read the Word, as we study the Word, as we get to know God in and through His Word and what He says to us. And so if we're wholly committed to the Lord and desire to love Him more, we will love this book more and more. Do you fear the Lord? Not out of a slavish fear, but out of a fear of His beauty, His holiness, His glory, His majesty, and you desire to serve Him. Which is what Moses' next thought is in verse 13. You shall serve Him. Now, what does it mean to serve? Well, Jesus quotes this verse, verse 13, in part anyway, in, in Matthew chapter 4. In the context, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Satan is calling him to bow down and to worship him. And Jesus responds to Satan by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, and Jesus says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus is equating serving him, serving God, and worship together. To serve the Lord by necessity involves worshiping him. As one commentator says, Jesus responded with unswerving allegiance to the worship of God alone. 
And so a committed allegiance, dear people of God, to the one true God will involve worshiping him and him alone. Now, worship involves uh, multiple components. Just think of our worship services. There's the reading of Scripture. There's the exposition of Scripture. There's calling in upon God in prayer. There's singing of, of the Psalms. And we're called to worship the Lord weekly. In a sense, we serve Him. But we're also called as families to daily worship the Lord as we open up the Scriptures in the home and read it and discuss it. And fathers, take, take time to lead your families in growing in their understanding of the Scriptures. Spending time together as families in prayer. Spending time singing together. But we are to worship Him throughout our entire day. As we go about our daily tasks, whether it's at home or in the workplace, whether it's driving, whether it's in our commutes, back and forth, whether it's in our times of vacations, whatever and whenever, we are called to serve the Lord our God. In meditation on the Word, times of silent prayer, of adoration, of supplication, times of singing praises to the Lord in our hearts and our minds or listening to them. Daily, we are called to serve the Lord, worship Him with adoration. But thirdly, Moses directs our attention, we are to swear by his name. Now the context here suggests the idea of swearing an allegiance to the Lord, solemnly dedicating one's life to him, in service to him. This is seen in both our our private lives and publicly, whether we serve him or not in our words or our actions and actions. Through our entire life, we ought to demonstrate that we are dedicated wholly to the Lord. And this will be manifested in, in, our, in, in our relationships, in our actions, where we go and among the people we interact with. It will be manifested in how we interact with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our neighbors, our employees or our employers, our customers, our students, our teachers. Do our lives give a a living testimony to those around us and to the world that watches us that we are wholly committed to serving the Lord, the one true God? Fourthly, Moses says in verses 17 and 18, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord. 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because the Lord willing, and in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack the rest of the commandments. What it looks like to diligently keep the second and the third and the fourth commandments, which were given to us as a guide for loving Him above all and serving and worshiping Him alone. But a committed allegiance to the Lord our God will involve diligently obeying His commands and turning to Him again and again for the times we fail. Whereas the Catechism says, I will love and fear, glorify Him with my whole heart rather than commit even the least thing contrary to His will. But fifthly, Moses calls us to remember and to teach. Three times Moses highlights the, the, this important aspect of remembering and teaching. Verse seven, thou shalt diligent, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, referring to the commandments. Verse twelve, putting it negatively, beware lest you forget the Lord thy God. And verse 21, in response to your children's questions, what do these testimonies and statutes and judgments mean? And Moses says, then thou shalt say unto thy son. And he then recounts what the Lord has done for them and what he was going to continue to do for them. Moses calls and the Lord calls us, first and foremost, to remember to consciously and intentionally remember, reminding ourselves of what the Lord has done for his people, but also to remember who he is. And then, not just to remember for ourselves, but then to communicate it to those around us. There's tremendous responsibility here for us as fathers to faithfully teach our children in the ways of the Lord, And children and young people. Moses anticipated that the children in Israel would ask their fathers, what what do these testimonies, these statutes, these judgments, what do they mean? He anticipated that the young Israelite children would ask questions of their fathers. And I challenge you to ask questions of your parents of your elders, of your pastors, of, of your teachers. Solid questions that get to the root of why, who we are and who God is and why he's placed us here. Questions about the Lord and his ways. Questions about, as, we, as, we, as you witnessed baptism this morning, as you saw that water being placed on the forehead of four, four little ones, to sit down and the dad, what, what does baptism mean? What, what's the meaning? Why do we have these commandments? Why does the Lord call us to serve him? Ask questions of your parents. Parents, maybe you're, as you hear me say that, you say, some of these questions are hard. And maybe, maybe hard to answer. 
That may be the case. But I encourage you to welcome the questions of your children, to hear them. Maybe you don't know how to fully answer them. But the Lord does give us a model for how to answer our children's questions. They revolved around who he was and what he has done. If you're not sure how to answer, reach out for help to so your elders, your pastors. Do not discourage your children's questions. And this instruction that Moses calls the children of Israel to and calls us to is not just a sporadic here or there type of instruction. This is instruction that is to be done diligently. It is to be a way of life. We see this in verses 7 through 9. Teach them diligently. When you're sitting in your homes, around the around the supper table, or after the evening service, or when you're on your way to some appointment, driving to work, sightseeing, vacationing, Moses, when you're lying down and when you get up, and the idea here is through every part of the day. It is to be a way of life where we are called to instruct our children, and not just in words, but in our actions as we go about our daily tasks. Now, as we come to a close this evening, the question that stands before Each one of us is, are you, am I, living in a wholehearted allegiance to the one true God? Jesus said in Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus said. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be divided in your allegiance. Maybe a small example will, will help here to see the, the inconsistency of being divided in our allegiance. Many of you know the, the Pledge of Allegiance, which is a common patriotic exercise among Americans as a way of demonstrating their commitment and love for their country. Now, as a Canadian, I've been living here for five, just over five years now. And for the last five years, for myself, it has been incredibly challenging when there were came points where I I was in a crowd where the Pledge of Allegiance was being said, and it felt awkward. Do I participate or don't I participate? But I also found it incredibly conflicting when I see my children wholeheartedly pledging allegiance as Canadian citizens. Now this in no way compares to the Lord's displeasure when he sees his people not being wholeheartedly given to him.
Because they are ones he's redeemed. He's redeemed them with his own blood. And when he sees his people trying to live not wholly committed, maybe serving two masters at times, it makes the Lord frown on those actions. These are ones he's bought with his own blood. And friends, if you love the Lord Jesus in light of who he is and what he's done for you, he calls you to live wholly and solely for him in every area of your life. And friend, if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus, if you're still living in the hard bondage, the oppressing bondage of the world, of sin, of Satan, of this Egypt, hear Jesus' words to you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and learn of me, for I am meek, and take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Gracious God and Father, the Lord our God, Lord, we've been challenged from thy word tonight to live wholly and solely for thee. Help us, Lord. Forgive our times of falling short, which are often so many. Wash and cleanse us again. Renew us, we pray. And if we've never committed to serving the Lord our God, We pray that we would flee for the first time to Jesus Christ, that we would love him and live for him. Lord, washed and cleansed in the the precious blood of the Lamb, do bless us this week. Help us as we go about our daily tasks. May we do so, bringing glory to thy good name, fearing thee above all, serving thee, committed to Thee, obeying Thy commandments and remembering and teaching through our words and our actions. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.